The waterway meanders for 173 miles from Junction City to Kansas City, dropping in elevation about 300 feet along the way. The River Valley's historical floodplain it, it dominates is as little as one mile wide around DeSoto and is sweeping four miles wide around Wamego. It is the Kansas River, or the Caw, as some folks say. The river is a little-known treasure to most Kansans, but advocate, scientist, educator, investigator, and spokesperson Don Bueller is about to change that. She's the Friends of the Caw Riverkeeper and can speak to the environmental importance and recreational opportunities offered by this river. Don, thank you for joining us at the Kansas Reflector Podcast. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for taking time out of your day. So let's pretend that you're uh, sitting on the river uh, in your kayak. Uh, let's just start by painting a picture in our minds of what you can see from your kayak from perhaps one of your favorite spots in the river. Wonderful. Thank you. I'd be happy to. So I shoved off the bank uh, up around Junction City and uh, the quiet waters of the Republican and the Smoky Hill River meet there where the Kansas River begins. And I begin my paddle, uh, dipping it into the water and uh, finding the channel of the river and uh, making my way. And what you see along the sides of the river is a very diverse tree canopy. The upper end of the river before uh, the influence of the Big Blue River uh, downstream in Manhattan behaves very much like the Smoky Hill River. It's narrower, it's faster, um, it's a much smaller river than it is once the Big Blue is influenced downstream. And so it's a much more intimate river You'll find uh, sandbars and lots of bald eagles and blue heron. Uh, you'll see deer dancing across the river, hopping along the sandbars. But one of the most magnificent features and probably one of my favorite sections of the river is once you pass Ogden and make your way into Manhattan, you're traveling through the Flint Hills. And from your boat in the middle of the river, you can look up and see the green rolling landscape of the Flint Hills. And it's absolutely breathtaking to make that journey. And you can really feel all of Kansas and its beauty as you're making your way. One of my favorite corners happens around eight miles from Ogden where you make the bend and you literally can turn around and look behind you and you see the river above you and you turn around and look in front of you and you see the river below you and you can feel yourself moving through the Flint Hill and it's breathtaking. It's mm -hmm. one of my favorite places on earth. That is interesting. It sounds very appealing. As long as that downward slope isn't too fast. I mean, not everybody's into whitewater rafting. <laughs> There's no whitewater rafting <laughs> on the Kansas River. All right. In terms of Friends of the Caw, it's a nonprofit. Uh, explain the organization and what your assignment is. It's sure. a riverkeeper. Right. Friends of the Caw was established 30 years ago. We're celebrating our 30th year this year. And we were started by um, a group of people in North Lawrence that were concerned about dredging on the Kansas River. And it primarily uh, began as an advocacy organization. And we still are an advocacy organization, but we really also uh, worked on recreation and access um, cleanups. We're the only nonprofit dedicated to cleaning up the Kansas River, pollution monitoring, education. And um, we've uh, 
done a lot of work uh, dedicated to the Kansas River. My job is the Kansas River Keeper and Executive Director, so I run the nonprofit, but I also um, have the title of Kansas River Keeper, which means that we are a member of the Global Waterkeeper Alliance, and we are the ears, eyes, and voice of the Kansas River. So my job is to make sure that we hold the community accountable for the health of the river and be um, all things uh, to make sure that the river is protected. People for centuries have um, people for centuries have have made the river the central focus of their lives, food, water, etc. Kind of try to connect us, uh, modern day folks who happen to live around here, to the river. So, what's it mean to us? Right. Well, we often refer to the Kansas River as a working river. Um, if you go back. Um, to the native peoples. Uh, the river was central to their lives for millennia, and they live along, lived along it as far back as we know the 1700s. The uh, Kansas peoples were living along the river. Um, then you um, think about settlement and um, all of the farming and um, our communities that settled along the river. If uh, the Kansas River did not have uh, reservoirs that held back floodwaters, we all would not continue to live in cities like uh, Topeka and Lawrence and DeSoto and um, you know even Manhattan because we would be flooded out with high water events. So um, it's central to our lives. There are 800,000 people that get their drinking water from the Kansas River, which makes this very significant, especially when there's only 2.9 million people in the entire state. So it's very uh, central to our lives for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably people's biggest connection to it, but we also know it as it's the Kansas River Water Trail dedicated in 2012 by the National Park Service, and we are trying to um, elevate uh, the uh, highlight the recreational value of the water trail. All right, let's skip to that. Let's kind of break down uh, your responsibilities here. Let's, let's just start with recreation. Um, there, there have been an increase in the access points where people could put in a canoe or a kayak, what have you. And uh, just talk about that a little bit. It's a, it's a public access waterway. Um, can people just drive their, their speedboat down there and throw it on the river? I mean, just explain a little bit about the dynamics of rec- people pursuing it for recreational reasons. Right. Thank you. So the Kansas River is a prairie-based river. It's the longest prairie-based river in the world. And when it's prairie-based, it's full of these beautiful braided sandbars. And so the sandbars are the hallmark of the Kansas River. I grew up on the river uh, around DeSoto. And um, in the 70s, there was only one boat ramp in the area. It was around Eudora. And we were able to canoe the river back then, but we had a place to get out. When Friends of the Cause started in 1991, the first thing that, that, that was determined was that here we have a publicly public-owned river um, between the high water mark, and there's no way for people to access it. So we started putting in boat ramps in partnership with Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks, and Tourism and the Evergy Green Team. We now have 19 boat ramps. They're about 10 miles apart. Um, there's one five-mile section, one two-mile, one 30-mile, but the rest of them are all about 10 miles apart. And it takes you about four to six hours to paddle one of those sections. So if you wanted to put on, say, 
a, a jet ski or a, a motorboat, those don't do quite so well in the Kansas River uh, when the when the water's low and, and it's at a what we consider a safe recreational uh, place. Uh, they do take in a lot of sand into their water intake and a lot of motors have problems with um, their their water intake with sand. But it's a really great river for uh, paddle sports, um, for kayaking, for canoeing. It's also really great for fishing. If you have a, a, a John boat that's flat bottom, those work really well on the Kansas River. You'll find a lot of fisher folk that use the river for that purpose. But um, there's 19 ways to enjoy the river and communities that are connected to it all along the way. You know, when you mentioned sandbars, you know, if you're paddling along in your canoe and you get tired or want to have a picnic, you can just park it on a sandbar and uh, have your just hang out for a while and hop back in your boat and take off. Right. Well, let's talk about what it means to be a public river. Since there's only three in Kansas, the Arkansas River, the Kansas River, and the Missouri, that means that between the high water mark, the river belongs to the people of Kansas. Well, the high water mark is where the vegetation changes. So you look at the bank and you see the green going up, that's private property. But the muddy bank and down belongs to the people of Kansas. So that includes the sandbars. So you can camp on a sandbar overnight, pitch a tent. It is absolutely phenomenal to see a Kansas River sunset. Uh, it is just an incredible view from the river. Um, but what, you can. What's it like in a tent on sleeping on a sandbar? <laughs> is that do you, do you get? Is it a restful sleep? It, just, it is a restful I sleep. Know. I think it depends on a couple of things. One, as long as you don't have a Kansas River thunderstorm, you're good. Uh, but we do Flash recommend. <laughs> Actually, um, the Kansas River is, is you know, doesn't, um, it takes a little while for the water to come up. So if you know a storm's coming, it's going to fill the tributaries first. And it takes a while for the river to actually rise. And so you have time to get off. And so. So um, if you did have a sudden thunderstorm, you would have time to get in your boat and get to one of these takeout points right yeah right because they're only about 10 miles apart so usually there's there's a a quick way to to get off if you see that that there's been a lot of rain in the watershed but you can camp on the sandbars and um you can have a, a bonfire dig a hole in the sand build a bonfire there's plenty of driftwood on the kansas river there's no shortage of that just don't go up the banks because then we're trespassing and we don't want to do that but mm-hmm. um you don't need a reservation uh, you don't need a permit the only license that you need is to go fishing so you can put on the river it's one of the last wild places in kansas um you think about the fact that we're 49th out of 50 states for public lands, and you've got a 173-mile-long public land right in your backyard. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't even know about it. They drive over the bridge and don't think twice about it, but it's a really um, great recreational resource. Okay, so another part of feature of your, your work is advocacy. Um, must have something to do with working with cities, counties, and the state uh, in terms of the river. Absolutely. Right. We work with lots of communities about around the Kansas River. So um, we work with um, different cities and counties on like river development projects, on recreational opportunities. Um, For example, in Lawrence, we're partnering with the Lawrence Parks and Recreation Department to put in kayak storage lockers, hopefully at Bircham Park. We've got an opportunity we're applying for with them. I also am on the Topeka Riverfront Advisory to work on development 
developing the riverfront through Topeka. I also spend a lot of time at the state house during session um, to um, meet with legislators and talk to that, but talk to them about the importance of the river and how central it is to particularly Northeast Kansas and the drinking water source. And um, I'm also chair of the Kansas Water Authority. And in that role, um, I advocate to the legislature to fully fund the state water plan, which is really important to uh, fund water projects across, across the entire state, not just in Northeast Kansas. Can you speak about, in terms of advocacy, changing climate and how that might be affecting the river? Absolutely. So, you know, in 2019, that flood was, it was so telling for so many reasons. Um, We saw things that happened with the way that um, our reservoirs are managed and how the Missouri River really impacts the Kansas River. There's um, uh, um, control measures in place um, to, to monitor and to um, control this bigger water system. And it impacts the Kansas River and our reservoirs, you know, they got full. Tuttle Creek Reservoir was inches from the top when we were finally able to release floodwaters. Um, in addition to that, we saw just how hard it was on our communities to deal with all the floodwaters um, during that great flood. And so one of the initiatives that we're working on is um, to try and find projects and opportunities where we can reconnect the Kansas River floodplain and add in wetlands along the Kansas River um, to increase our resiliency to drought and to flooding. Um, They can, those those areas can store water for drought times of drought and they can um, hold water in times of a flood and give us more room um, to handle these extremes that are coming and we know they're coming Mm -hmm. there's an education component perhaps working with kids in schools but also uh, getting out on the river and teaching people about the river can you speak to that right so what we're most known for are our educational paddle trip program Everybody sees us out on the river um, doing these paddle trips. We've been doing them for, oh gosh, I think um, 20 years of the 30 years that we've uh, been around. And we were the first ones to do it. And the whole idea is um, that you take people out on the Kansas River for the first time in a canoe or a kayak and let them experience it for themselves. And then we have what we call sandbar education. We stop on a sandbar. We talk about the watershed and how vast it is, 61,000 square miles. It extends into eastern Colorado, as far west as Lyman, central Nebraska, and how important that is to the overall uh, system of the Kansas River. Um, All of that water drains into the Kansas River if it's not used for some other purpose. And so we teach people about that. We also do water quality education. We actually test the Kansas River water and we teach students about what that means. We'll take them out insane off the backside of a sandbar and look for macroinvertebrates, which can be indicators of good or bad water quality. Mm. Um, We'll also um, teach them how to um, test for different things like nitrogen, phosphorus, bacteria, and um, talk to them about what those what those data sets mean. And then sometimes we have some professors, like we have a professor at Johnson County Community, Community College that brings her geology class out and uses a Kansas River sandbar to teach about sediment trans- 
transport, which is pretty cool. Um, when the professors come out and use the Kansas River with us as a classroom, I'm a student, and it's one of my favorite things that we do. Another aspect of, of your work there is maybe can be called investigation. There's obviously historically pollution that has gone on in the river, so all sorts of stuff. So what do you, what do you see? What, what, what is somebody going to see out there that they might not appreciate? So this is probably what I consider to be one of the most important parts of my job. So as the Kansas Riverkeeper, my job is to monitor and mediate suspected pollution on the Kansas River. So I use both a kayak and a John boat, Friends of the Caw owns both, and we monitor the entire Kansas River all year long. Even in the winter, we're watching it. And we monitor for dump sites, we monitor for pollution out of point sources, um, we monitor for non-point source pollution. Non-point source pollution is anything that runs off the landscape. It's incredibly hard to figure out where it's coming from, but sometimes you can. Point so you're talking source, about like industrial pollution or you just run off from crop fields and well, the like? It can be both. It can be both. Sometimes you'll see runoff from cities, from urban areas, and um, you'll be able to see that it's something that shouldn't be there. But more, mostly what we'll notice is um, a discharge from a point source. You can tell um, whether or not there's something wrong with it. We found several that we've had to turn into Kansas Department of Health and Environment that were um, discharges that were suspect, and Kansas Department of Health and Environment will go out and... Um, uh, investigate it and so we'll say somebody so, has a semi truckload of nasty stuff people back up there and just open the tap no we don't i don't think we see a lot of that happening mm-hmm. um sometimes it's a failed piece of equipment at a plant and they don't know about it mm-hmm. and uh we'll report it and you know that'll be how they find out about it that's happened many times um in these investigations i tell you what happens a lot is that people still dump and I'm talking about trash. And I just do not understand that in 2021, why people are still dumping trash into the river, but it happens and it'll be on private property. And I pity the person that dumps on the Kansas River because we're gonna find it. We're so on the we'll, river we'll that much. Farmer Bob uh, just has 50 acres there and he, he needs to get rid of the load of brush and wood and sheet metal and whatever and he just backs a truck up and shoves it in the river well it depends on what goes down the bank so for example we had um, recently you it's i don't like this but it's not illegal to push concrete down mm. the ramp down the the bank but it is um, illegal to push uh, construction material hmm. so we had one that way where it was a little bit of both and they were they were told to remove the construction material but they could leave the concrete so but it's a lot harder to remove material you just dumped <laughs> just, over the, yeah. the bank just don't it do it to, to begin it with <laughs> once when i was on the river i recall seeing maybe they're not there anymore but i thought they were cars from the 1950s are all rusted and the windows are gone but somebody ran a cable through the door frames through the vehicles and Maybe they were sitting on solid ground at one point, but when I saw them, they were kind of hanging there. And I didn't know whether it was some kooky idea in the 1960s to control uh, erosion because the river the river is in charge of 
that land there. And what I mean is the river changes course. It meanders left, meanders right, and it'll carve into people's cornfields. And the river owns it now. Right. Absolutely. So weird, <laughs> weird uh, ideas about erosion, and uh, just talk. Can you talk to me a little bit about interacting with farmers and and people along there? Yeah, we have great relationships up and down the river. But you know, you think back to um, you know the fifties, sixties, seventies, and even you know before that. And you're right. Um, there were lots of of things that were used as bank stabilizers and and cars were one of them we also did not have the more formal trash system that we do today if you lived in a rural area you had a dump and a lot of time that dump was down a creek bed Mm -hmm. and so we find a lot of those really really old dump sites like you'll find something that's dated the 1930s which it becomes a little something different to some people uh, when they find something that old. Uh, We do have like, um, so my dad, I grew up on a farm and 2000 acre vegetable farm. And before my dad died, he was telling me about how in the seventies that there was a tire salesman that would come out to the rural areas and offer to give landowners, farmers, um, tires to stabilize their bank. And because they were used tires. And so we ended up with all these tires along the Kansas River, and many of them were used as bank stabilizer. The problem is is that they blow out. Um, The only thing that really is going to hold the bank is deep-rooted trees and grasses. And we know that now, but we didn't know that then. Mm -hmm. Um, But we had a sandbar right before the Eudora Bridge where one of those tire uh, stabilization projects had blown out in the 93 flood, embedded into the sandbar. So we took um, a team of volunteers and we partnered with the city of Eudora and uh, Evergy Green team and um, we um, on Big O Tire in Lawrence and we removed 456 tires out of a Kansas River sandbar last fall by hand. We had to dig them out one by one. We have over 300 volunteers on our volunteer email list and and many of them came out that day. Yes, we understand it. Were they all connected or were they by by chains or cables or something or were they just stacked along the river and then when they were pushed out by the flooding they Mm -hmm. were just all over the place right they were they were stacked into the bank so when the flooding came and they dislodged them and they just drove them into the sandbar and they've been there i mean i can remember as a young person seeing the tires in the sandbar and so uh one of my goals is that by the time I retire, we're going to have all these legacy, what I call legacy, old dump sites cleaned up. Mm-hmm. And so we got this one done um, last fall. We're going after another one in Shawnee this fall, this October. And we're going to, we estimate there's about 300 tires in the sandbar around Shawnee, but we estimated 300 at Eudora and it was 456. So, so talk a little bit about that. I know you do cleanup events. So how could somebody volunteer for that maybe go online and sign up and explain how how those events occur so 300 people on a sandbar can you walk across the sand and get on the sandbar do they take you out by boat help us understand sure if somebody wanted to volunteer for that what the experience would be like right absolutely so we didn't have 300 people on the sandbar at the same time but we have 300 people on our volunteer list we probably had about 75 or so people at the last cleanup that came out 
So if you're interested in volunteering, certainly go to our website, kansasriver.org, and um, sign up to be a volunteer. You can sign up for cleanup events. You can sign up to be a Caw River Guide, which are volunteers that have their own kayak or canoe, and they come with us on the Kansas River to do everything, from river checks to educational trips to cleanups. And you also can sign up to work with us on our um, educational programming in the schools. But if you come out for uh, a cleanup that's in the middle of the river, uh, there's several different ways. Usually we want people to have, if they have their own kayak, they can come out in that form of transportation, kayak or canoe. But this last one in Eudora, we were in the middle of the river. The the sandbar was disconnected from uh, the banks. Mm -hmm. And so we had um, John Boats. So Friends of the Caw has one, and we had um, volunteers and Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks, and Tourism. They'll bring out their airboats. And so between all of these partners, we'll get boats out there. We can transport people out and bring them back. The one in Shawnee, we will actually um, be accessing from the, the banks. So we'll be able to walk down. We won't be taking boats out for that one. But that one's a long walk from the road. So we've got to figure out how we're going to get 300 tires from a sandbar all the way up to the main road. It should be interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm counting on Evergy's green team to help us figure it out. They're pretty fa- uh, fabulous about figuring out how to get stuff out. Can we step back to recreation? Mm-hmm. Could you exp- I grew up in, near Kansas City, and I always connected the Missouri River, for example, as, as a quite dangerous place you know the water gets rocketing through there and it's nothing to be trifled with and and i think about the the couple times i've been on the kansas river and it's really when the water level is quite low and you can take a break on that sandbar or there's probably opportunities to just pull your kayak out of the river entirely and stand on the shore uh so can can you explain the you know what it's what it's more like about in terms of safety in terms of being on the river what are the things you look for uh when you go out there that say oh can't go today or or the conditions aren't quite right or what would be the ideal condition yeah there's a lot to consider but um one of the best resources is our website kansasriver.org there's a whole section there so for anyone that's listening you can go back and reference all of this but um the, the Kansas River, all rivers flow at what's called cubic feet per second. That's the, the measure of how fast the current's moving. And so um, there's uh, the USGS, United States Geological Survey, has um, uh, monitors all along the river that can help us determine what the flow is. And so there's flows all the way on the western end, all the way to the eastern side of the river. And so each section of the river is going to be different in where it's flowing based on a couple of things. Number one, um, how much rain we've had in what part of the river. So there's also how much water is being released out of reservoirs. Um, And, uh, you know, you've got the cumulative effect. So the river's always going to be higher on the lower end than it is on the upper end because everything's coming together in the watershed. So we set some basic parameters that we believe that novices should be on the river when it's 5,000 cubic feet per second or lower. And at that point, the sandbars are greatly exposed. There's lots of places to stop. The water's moving. You have a, you have a current and a flow so that you're not having to work too hard. But um, certainly it's a, what we consider the safest level for beginner paddlers. 
more experienced paddlers up to about 8,000 cubic feet per second. But at 8,000 and higher, the sandbars start to disappear. And they disappear at different levels within the water, within the river. So the upper end, for example, where I said it was narrower, mm-hmm. those sandbars will disappear around 6,000 cubic feet per second. But down around the Compton, where the river's much wider, it might be ten or 10,000 or so before they start to disappear. Around Wamigo, it tends to be 11 or 12,000 CFS before they completely disappear. But um, we recommend 8,000 and lower for experienced paddlers. Now, other things to consider are, number one, is there, is there a thunderstorm coming in? Because if there is, I seriously doubt you want to be out on the water in lightning, just like any other plate body of water. Uh, we re- recommend and require on all Friends of the Caw events that we wear a life jacket. Uh, we don't allow anyone to come on any of our educational paddle trips without a life jacket. Um, if you've ever dumped your boat in a body of water, the first thing that you'll be thankful for is that you already have your life jacket on. It's a little hard to put it on after the fact, so we recommend that. The third thing to watch for is wind. Um, there's you know a 30 mile an hour wind out of the south coming into Lawrence. You're going to have white caps because it acts like a tunnel. Um, so you need to watch for which direction the wind's coming out of and how strong it is. And so if it's a five or 10 mile an hour wind day, perfect. It's going to be beautiful out. A little bit of a breeze can be nice. It can, yeah. yeah. All right. So um, one other thing I want to ask you about is partnerships with cities and businesses. You know, maybe companies that help you with some of your projects. Oh my gosh, there's so many. We probably one of the biggest things that we've managed to do in the last uh, five years is really increase our partnerships up and down the river. So it depends on what part of the river we're in. But for example, we just met with the city of Shawnee to talk to them about partnering on this tire cleanup. Uh, We just got a grant announced today from REI to help us with outdoor and outdoor um, recreation, education, and uh, cleanups. Um, We just got funding from the city of DeSoto to redo a rain garden. Um, We're working with the city of Eudora on a project to do riverbank restoration. I should talk about the other end of the river. Uh, We've worked with the city of Manhattan to clean up uh, battery cases that are in the river out in that direction. Like for cars? Yeah, they're old battery cases. Um, so they've been there over 40 years in the river. So, you know, the cases that you actually set a battery down into, they're, they're a hard rubber and they're really thick. Um, it's the, that outer case. They were, we think they were um, pushed down a bank like I'm talking over 40 years ago. It was a long time ago. And over time, because of the sun and the water, they've they've broke down. And so there are a lot of places, they're little pieces. And they're so brittle that if you pick one up on the sandbar and drop it, it'll shatter. And so for the last four years, we have done two to three cleanups a year, hand-picking up battery cases out of sandbars. And we're not done. They're mostly between Manhattan and St. George, but it, it takes, we partner, uh, one, one of our biggest partners, I do have to give them a shout out, is Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks, and Tourism. Mm-hmm. Their game wardens 
will never bat an eye about coming out and helping us and bringing their boats to transport all this trash that we take off the river. God bless them because they they haul a lot of trash off the river that they probably don't fully get the credit for. Tires, okay. Tires. All right, so we started your, uh, you, you began our journey in a blissful Flint Hills view so when you started in the west so now now you've gone down the river and you're nearing kansas city and uh, somewhere in that zone i believe down there somewhere in 1804 lewis and clark uh, set up a campsite but um, uh, so just walk us out of here with with a uh, with a visual uh, perspective on what somebody might see at the other end of the river sure well my favorite section of the river is Eudora to DeSoto because that's where I grew up and it's just on the outer edge of the metro area. It's very beautiful. Um, It's a lot different than uh, the western end of the river. The river starts to narrow as it makes its way into Kansas City and uh, you make your way to Edwardsville and you'll see your last sandbar. Uh, The lower end of the river from Edwardsville down to Kansas City has been heavily dredged for sand. Sand is used for uh, concrete and to build roads. And so the river has been heavily dredged since the early 1900s. And that's one of the things that we advocate against. We want to see dredging moved out of the river and into appropriately sited pit mines because it's very devastating to the Kansas River itself. Um, It can accelerate erosion. If I was a landowner on the river and there was a dredge near my, my land, I would not be happy about that because you're gonna have increased erosion and you may end up losing acres over it. Um, It's also detrimental to habitat in the river. Um, When you dig a hole to to take sand out, it it has to the river has to fill that hole, so it pulls from the banks. It can cause trees to collapse, um, which you know destroys habitat. It destroys the shade over the river, in which uh, keeps the river cooler and from getting too hot. Um, There's all kinds of um, uh, benefits to having this healthy. river system along the edges, um, the riparian zone. So on the lower end of the river, you don't see any trees, you see levees. But one of the things that is really neat about um, kayaking that lower end is that from about the 435 bridge, which is around Edwardsville, to about halfway to the end of the river, there's a really healthy forest through there. Hmm. And you don't know you're in Kansas City. Like, people are on the river and they're like, really, I'm in the city right now? Because it doesn't feel that way. And then about the time you get to the really heart of Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri, you know, which are on both sides of the river, you see um, the architecture of these really fabulous bridges. Um, There's so many bridges. I haven't even counted them all. Somebody listening could probably tell me how many bridges there are, but just to look at the fascinating architecture of all these bridges as you make your way all the way down to the end of the river and to see things that you see from the from the highway and to see them from that perspective. For example, you know, what used to be formerly Kemper Arena, which is now Hy-Vee Arena. I still call it Kemper Arena because I went there in the should. 80s. <laughs> You know, I saw Kansas at Kemper Arena. I won't say what year, but it was my first concert. And the first time I saw Kemper from the river, I thought, 
wow, I didn't realize it was so close to the Kansas River. Mm-hmm. But just to see that perspective of the West Bottoms and, and Kansas City, Kansas and Strawberry Hill. And, and then you go into the Fairfax area. And then the very last boat ramp as you um, before the Kansas River meets the Missouri is Caw Point Park. And Caw Point Park is really a beautiful little place right in the heart of Kansas City. People don't even know that it exists. So, and, you know, if you're interested in going, Google Caw Point Park. But there's um, a walking trail and a beautiful landscaped area, parking lot, restroom facilities, a boat ramp. But you can walk all the way down this path through this little wooded area. And it's quite beautiful. And you get out to the very end and you're at what we call the point. And when you're standing at the point, there's a statue of Lewis and Clark pointing and you can see where the Kansas River meets the Missouri. And there's this little exchange of water that's happening. And you can see how the little Kansas River is trying to make its way into the mighty Missouri. And um, it's a really great view. And you can see the downtown Kansas City, Missouri skyline. If you've never seen it, I highly encourage you to take a drive. Yeah, excellent, excellent. I want to thank our guest, Friends of the Call Riverkeeper, Don Bueller. Thanks for the journey here. Happy paddling, everyone.